the art of self-reliance is forging your own path, but the path is difficult. Made easier by learning from those who have succeeded in directing their own lives on their own terms. With their help and inspiration, your path to self-reliance moves from dream to reality. And now, here's your host, Dr. Rodney King. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Self-Reliance podcast. In this episode, I speak to Jeffrey Harry. Jeff shows individuals and companies how to tap into their true selves to feel their happiest and most fulfilled, all by playing. He has worked with Google, Microsoft, Southwest Airlines, Adobe, the NFL, Amazon, and Facebook, helping their staff to infuse more play into their day-to-day. Jeff's playwork has been featured in the New York Times, AJ+, Soul Pancake, the SF Chronicle, and CNN. As Jeff notes, while we spend most of our time pretending to be important, serious grown-ups, it's when we let go of that facade and just play that the real magic happens. Fully embracing your own nerdy genius, whatever that is, gives you the power to make a difference and change lives. In this episode, we discuss how to play through uncertainty during COVID times, how to deal with the asshole at work through play, and how to have hard conversations at work through play. The art of self-reliance calls you to adventure, to develop your self-protection skills, to learn how to survive no matter where you find yourself, and to thrive amongst life's chaos. All right, so Jeffrey, when you hear the words self-reliance, what does that mean to you? Self-reliance. Um, that means trusting yourself and your gut to make the right decisions, but also being humble enough to know when you need help. I don't normally do this, right? Because I'm not so interested oftentimes in people's backgrounds because I really want to get into the actual meat of it. And I want people to walk away from every you know, every podcast that they listen to that they've actually learned something. But what I am, what I am interested in, because this is something that I feel we share a common interest in is how did you come to the work of play and why do you find that so important? Well, the short version is I saw the movie big when I was a kid and then started writing toy companies when I was in fifth grade and then pursued that. And then was part of the toy industry and realized that it wasn't what I wanted. Um, And it was really disappointing because I thought that would be the place where everyone played, but they just sold plastic. Um, So then I continued to pursue or try to find out where I could find play. And I found this, a bunch of nerds, like seven of them playing with Lego for a living. And they were just teaching kids engineering with Lego. And I joined them and, you know, that was 2004. And when I left, there were about 400 of us and we'd grown this huge um, STEM organization, but it was all about teaching kids really complex ideas like engineering and architecture through play. And then I was like, this can also be done for adults. So I'd already been running some team building events and stuff like that with, with a lot of tech companies because that's where I lived in the Bay area. Um, And I was like, how do I, double down on getting more adults to play, not just for the sake of playing, but also to tackle really challenging issues 
like toxicity in the workplace and racism in the workplace and how do you have a hard conversation and how do you how do you find that creativity and innovation that you had at the beginning of your startup but now is gone um and yeah and then now during covid times how do you play through uncertainty not knowing what's coming up next so all of those things and i saw play is like my favorite tool to use I believe it was uh, Plato that said that you could discover more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation, right? And so then my question would be, when we talk about playing through uncertain times, I guess the one thing that's probably going to be put immediately to the side is anything that would be considered play. When people are fearful and when they're afraid, the last thing that they're going to think about is this idea of playing, right? So in uncertain times, I would assume that they would be the first thing to go, but that's, and I, I bet you're going to say something about this, but that would be a mistake, right? Well, well, I think it's two things. I think, you know, Gwen Gordon, this play expert I, I like work with from time to time speaks about how someone has, you know, for a kid, they have to soothe themselves before they feel comfortable playing in the world, right? And you learn how to soothe yourself from the person that, took care of you the most, you almost like adopt their um, nervous system of how they calm themselves. So, you know, in the case of right now is, you know, people have to feel whatever they need to feel. So a lot of people, including myself, had a vision of what we wanted in 2020, right? A very clear vision. And then it was gone, gone in an instant. And people have to grieve that. They have to own that and be like, that's not happening anymore. And and frankly, if you need to binge watch Netflix or you need to do whatever you need to do to deal with it, but f you first have to allow yourself to feel those feelings. But once you let yourself feel those feelings, the probably the thing I think the worst thing we can do is to now start planning, you know, what are we gonna do next? Or, you know, or think about what our regrets were from the past. And really the best thing we can do right now is to fully be present in like, today what am i going to create today because there's such chaos that you can't really plan for tomorrow and frankly that's where play exists and my my definition of play is anything you do where you brings you an immense amount of joy and you forget about time it's like an action that you just forget about anything else and you're fully present so whatever that is that you can do will help your business, will help your organization, and will just help your soul if you can fully just sit in the present moment and be here for it. So then how does a person play through uncertain times? I mean, so we're talking about COVID because that's where we all find ourselves in now. But I mean, that's not the only time that people have had to encounter uncertainty in their lives. So how would you suggest that they go ahead and, and implement that into their daily life? You've mentioned one, you know, it's really important for them to be in the present moment. And there, I think you suggesting that what they should focus on is, is what they value. Because when you move from a place of value, right. then you get into this idea of being immersed in the moment, losing track of time, because what you are moving towards is, is, is much greater than yourself. It's something that you see as something beyond just your baseline needs. Right. So, so I run a, a workshop called Your Future is Where Your Fun Is. And what we ask a lot of people to do is, we ask them to think about their favorite moments playing as a kid. 
Um, and then we dive deeper into like, well, what were the values of that play? Like my play was like, you know, creating these huge epic games. And the reason why I love, I love that was because it had this experiential piece to it. It had this connection piece to it. It had this adventure piece. And frankly, all of my work kind of ties into that. So once you're able to identify like, what did you love to do as a kid? What did you love playing in this kid and why? Like, was it the creativity? Was it the collaboration? Was it the connection? Like, what was it? Then you can ask yourself, what am I doing right now that has those components? And if I don't have those components, then that's probably why you're binge watching Netflix so much. It's like, you don't have the energy. You're not really feeding your soul. So you can't, you know, function in that role because you kind of feel in this meh, neutral state. And what I challenge people to do is to tap back almost into that inner child they had before, play with it, listen to that curiosity. I tell a lot of people, this is weirdly ironic for me being a play guy, but I tell a lot of people to get bored. Like put away your social media, stop watching Netflix or YouTube for just a moment and just really just sit there quietly. You don't even have to meditate if you don't like meditating, but if you love meditating, go do that. But whatever you do, get quiet enough and then listen for that quiet, curious voice that's like, let's do this and then just try it. And if you don't like it after you've been doing it for a little bit, then you do something else, but you listen to that curious voice and it's not going to be this booming voice of this is what you need to do next. I think a lot of people are looking that for that right now. Like, what do I need to do right now? Tell me the, the rule book. And there's like, there's no rules right now. So the only thing you can trust is yourself. So listen to your curiosity and see where that takes you. And that will take you to play. Yeah, I really like that idea of being bored, right? And just kind of sitting with yourself. Because if I go back and I remember when I was a kid, I would argue that some of my best play experiences came out of moments before that were, were boredom, right? So I was completely bored. You know, maybe I was kind of hassling my mom and trying to get her to do things with me. And she was like, listen, you need to go and entertain yourself. And then I would sit there for quite some time, just kind of frustrated and irritated and getting more, more upset because there was nothing happening and I had nothing to do. And then as I quieted down and I just sat with it, then suddenly, as you noted, there was this gentle voice and said, hey, why don't you go and do this? And then oftentimes it led to some of the best experiences. Right. And it's cra the craziest ideas, right? You know, but you, but you almost have to sit in that discomfort. Um, they talk about this a lot at meetings as well, when you're at a meeting and um, where you're in the brainstorming stage. And then maybe the boss or whoever's facilitating the meeting's like, all right, let's just hurry up and answer the question. It's like, no, you wanna sit in that awkward, frustrating, uncomfortable space with everybody else for a little bit longer because that's when the crazy ideas start to show up. And those crazy ideas probably aren't the ones you're gonna pick, but they lead to the actual idea. But a lot of people don't wanna sit in that awkward space. A lot of people don't wanna feel those feelings of like, ugh, I'm uncertain, you know? So they instead consume information and then they quiet that curious voice and then they can't hear it later on. What would your take be in the distinction between play as we're talking about it and competition? You know, are they competing with each other, right? If, if, I wanted, if I want to be playful, can I be competitive? Or are they completely two different experiences? 
So that's, so that's a great question because I'm not, I, I love to play and I love to compete, but I'm not the most competitive person. Like, I think there's, there's something about, you know, when you talk to like basketball players, for example, like they love to play the game and they love the competition aspect, but after the game is over, they've forgotten about it. Like, you know, if, if you're, or if you love the game for the sake of loving the game, if you love the game for the sake of winning, then that also puts you in a situation where you can't enjoy life all the time because you can't win all the time, right? You know, like that's just not, I mean, if there's a documentary out on Netflix right now about all these Olympians that gold, you know, multiple gold medals, and then they went through this depression state because they couldn't have that high of winning. And it's like, Yo, the, I think the bigger game, Simon Sinek talks a, lo a lot about this, is like, are you playing the, the, the short game or are you playing the infinite game? I want to play the game for, to continue to play the game and to continue to enjoy myself. And frankly, the more you can be present, the more it, you're going to just enjoy life, right? Like you're never on a roller coaster and thinking like, oh, I can't wait to get to the end. I can't wait to see what I get at the end of the roller coaster. You actually enjoy the ride. And I think a lot of times when people are so fixated on competition and so fixated on winning, they miss the point of why they were created that organization or that business in the first place. It was because it was super fun to solve problems. It was super fun to be creative. And now you've lost track of that because now you're competing against this other entity that you didn't even care about a year ago. So what I hear you saying there, which I think is really important, is that if a person finds himself in a place where they're really stressed out and things aren't going great for them and they want to embody this aspect of play, it's really important to go back to whatever they find that they're struggling with and ask themselves that important question, why did I start this in the first place? What was it about this experience that made me want to do it in the beginning? Because I think a lot of times when people are stressed out and life overtakes them and you know, potentially they get stuck in this kind of machine of always having to want to overtake everybody else, they lose track of why they started something in the first place. Exactly. And the other thing that I tell people all the time, and this is, this is rampant in America, um, is your self-worth is not based off of your productivity. It's just not. I mean, we measure it that way. That's what capitalism measures that way. But like now that COVID has hit, you realize like productivity is not everything. It, it's not, productivity is not what's gonna solve a lot of the problems in the world. Kindness, caring, being creative, really connecting with people. Those are probably gonna be more important you know, having compassion for yourself and others are going to be more important than your, how much you produce today. And I think a lot of people went through, you know, an identity crisis when they were like, well, I can't create as much. I can't make, I can't sell as much. I can't, you know, I can't do outreach the same way I used to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're going to have to be a little bit more humane, tap into like, more who you are, figure that out, which is super scary because a lot of times we avoid that and go deeper and be like, is the work that I'm actually doing what I consider important? So one of the other things we said we would talk about is how do we actually deal with difficult people at work through play? Because 
as people start kind of going back now, they're, they're normalizing, so to speak. And depending where you are in the world, of course, I get that's different for everybody. But you're still going to have to have those interactions with people. And it's in those face-to-face -face interactions and maybe not even just face-to-face. -face. I mean, I don't know how you would deal with it in a more kind of virtual world, but definitely you have to deal with difficult people. And that is something that comes up a lot um, where people are kind of unsure of how do they actually approach those kinds of situations and be more effective when they do. Yeah. So my friend Gary and I run an, a workshop called how to deal with a-holes at work through play or how to deal with toxicity at work through play. And what we found during our research, you know, and talking to so many different companies is that it's costing, it costs uh, companies in America half a billion dollars in the last like five years, like, or yeah, like $500 million. Yep. Um, and that's just fortune 500 companies. Uh, and a lot of people just don't talk about how many people just leave because of that toxic person. Um, and we recently were talking about this thing called the brilliant jerk syndrome, where, you know, a company or a team will choose to keep the brilliant jerk, even though that person is causing, you know, an unrest with the rest of the team. While with like the U.S. Navy SEALs, they'll never pick the brilliant jerk because it destroys the team camaraderie. No matter how productive and how amazing that person is, if it doesn't, if that person doesn't gel with the team, it's just not healthy for the team, just like it's not healthy for the organization. So we first approach companies like that and be like, do you know how much this is costing you? Um, and then we try to empower the people that are in those teams. Like, okay, so what is this person doing? Oh, they're taking up so much room at the meeting. They talk 80 to 90% of the meeting. Okay, well, why don't you work with your colleagues and be like, look, we have to get each other's back. We have to speak up. We have to take control of some of these meetings. And we need to do this over the next three to six months. You know, we, you know, we need to vouch for each other so that this person doesn't talk over us, right? So that would be like the initial stage of like, organizing because you have to you have to check this person second we would if you feel comfortable enough you would be willing to approach that person and this is why we use play is we have them practice what they would actually say what would the scenarios be like have them sit in the awkwardness of the situation and be like hey chad um you know when you cut off sarah when she was sharing her idea um that is a reason why she doesn't like to share. And it also then ripple, ripples to everyone else in the room and then they don't wanna share. I don't know if that's your intent, but I'm just trying to communicate to you that's what's happening. You know, how, how do you wanna tackle this? And just see what this person has to say. Maybe they didn't know they were being, you know, this toxic person, potentially. But what if they come back at you and be like, whatever, I don't really care about Sarah. Okay, fine. At least now you know that. And then you address it from the, from the team leader or organization perspective of being like, yo, so Chad is clearly not helping us move forward on a lot of stuff. Two other staffers have left because of Chad. Also, Chad doesn't represent any of the values that this organization represents. So I'm just letting you know, if we don't deal with this Chad situation, other people are going to leave and potentially me as well. And you let that boss know. And then it's on the boss to also check that individual, right? And then if they choose not to, then you know, and that's a sad case, then, then you might have to leave. 
But there's a fourth stage, and this is probably the deepest stage and the, probably the hardest one to grasp. And it's like, it's the inner critic that you have to address, the inner a-hole, the inner toxicity that you have, because there's something that that person is saying to you that is triggering you. And it may tie from something from childhood. It may tie from some former job. And when they're like, oh, yeah, you suck, or you don't know how to do your job, or oh, like, you know, everyone here is stupid. It's triggering something in you because a part of you believes that. And the more you can identify that and be like, is that actually true? No, that is not true. Then you can actually then set your boundary. And the next time Chad speaks up like that, then you go, Chad, that's super disrespectful. I'm sorry, you just can't act that way. And you, when you do that in a meeting or you do that in front of your colleagues, all of a sudden your colleagues are like, yeah, I'm not going to take that either. And then they start stepping up, setting their boundaries. And then Chad has a choice. He either checks himself and starts being a nice person or he's going to leave because he's like, I can't control situations anymore. Right. You know, in, in the, in the U S we have a, a hole as president because a lot of people didn't check him early enough in his life. And that's what we're trying to say is like, we need, you need to check and set boundaries really early on. I like the idea as well, are you talking about checking yourself, right? Dealing with your inner critic. So one of my questions there would be is when you have people coming in and they're gonna work with you and you, you, know, you describe to them what you're gonna be doing, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna play and through play, you're gonna learn more about yourself and understand the world better. Do you feel that, especially for adults, there's a, there's a resistance that, you know, initially they don't see the value in that. And how do you overcome that? I mean, how do you get somebody to understand? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when we talk to organizations, we more so talk, when we use the word play, we use the word flow because flow is the exact same thing. Like if you, if you, um, Dr. Chiksai Mihai, he's a positive psychologist that broke down what flow is and flow really is like play in so many ways. Like, because, you know, there's a chart of skill um, um, and challenge. Like, how good are you on something and how difficult something is, right? Like, on the X, Y axis. And when you first start a job, it's so difficult, right? Because you don't have any skill and the challenge is really hard. So you have a lot of anxiety. Um, and then when you've been at a job for a really long period of time, you have a ton of skill and the challenge is gone. So now you're kind of bored. You know, you kind of feel that way when you've watched Netflix for too long and you're like, I kind of like it. And then after a while you're like, oh, I'm just like done with this because I'm bored. But in between that anxiety and that boredom is this channel. And that channel is when skill meets challenge perfectly. And that is the flow state. That's when you forget about time. That's the runner's high. That's being in the zone. All those things that you want your employees to be when they're working for your organization. And the more they can get into that flow, the more they can get into that play, the more and you're literally, you, your opportunities open up. Like you'll see neurons and synapses like, like clicking in a way they, they've, when they've done these studies of brain power, just seeing what opens up when people fall into this flow channel. So the more you can help your employees to get there and feel safe enough to share, feel safe enough to have hard conversations and feel safe enough to like take risks, that's when like the best stuff bubbles up. And that's when you get the most out of your employees. So, you know, you were talking about anxiety and you did mention this earlier on right in the beginning, you were talking about 
managing your nervous system. I think that's really important, at least in my work and what I've experienced is that when you teach somebody how to manage their nervous system more effectively, happiness will follow. I think a lot of people are seeking happiness externally, as we know, they always want to try to, you know, let's buy a new car, let me go shopping or whatever that may be. But what they don't realize is that that's just going to be momentary and then they're going to be back to the problems that they've been facing and the problems are the stuff that's coming from the inside. Exactly. Exactly. So, so it's, it's, it's a great question to ask yourself, how do you soothe yourself? How do you calm yourself? You know, there's many like breathing exercises. The military does, you know, breath, breathing in for four seconds, holding it for two and then breathing out. They do this a lot with like the Navy SEALs, right? But everyone has their different way of soothing. Is it taking a shower? Is it walking? Is it talking to a friend? Like, what is it that you do to like really calm yourself? Because you can't really make good decisions if you first haven't soothed yourself. And this is the problem that I think a lot of people are having. The reason why it's been so uncomfortable this time of uncertainty is, you know, there's so much resistance. Play is, there's no resistance in play. But when you fight play, resistance feels like, like hell. It feels like, ugh, you know, because you're fighting the whole time. Um, and, I, and I try to give, um, Gwen Gordon showed me this example the other day of like, if you take your fist and you wrap your hand around your fist one way and you try to open it up, you know, and your fist is right on top, you can't open it, right? But if you like take your fist again, but you cup it from the bottom, and you try to open it up, it's like, not only does it feel better to open it up, but you feel supported. And this is what I mean by like the soothing. What are you doing to soothe and support yourself or finding friends to support you in this so that you can make decisions, not from a place of fear and anxiety, but from a, a more soulful place, a place you can trust. And I guess the, a person has to give themselves permission to do that, right? They have to be open to the fact that they need that because without that and recognizing that if they don't take that time, as you describe it, to soothe themselves, what I would call managing their nervous system more efficiently, they're just going to burn out. And any decisions they make from that moment forward are not going to be the best decisions, as you noted. Yeah, they're not. And think about it. Let's say you're unemployed, right? You just got laid off and you're like, man, I got to get a job and I get a job as soon as possible. Well, what is it that you want to do? It doesn't matter what I want to do. I just need a job. So then every job application you send out, every interview you do, it's going to come from a desperate place. And then that employer who's considering you is going to feel that and then be like, well, why do you want to work for this company? You're like, you know, I just want a job, you know, or you may not say that, but they can feel that. So it'd be better for you to take some time, calm down, maybe find something that brings you joy, do a little play, you know, um, really figure out your values. Like one thing I ask a lot of people to do, you know, when I'm coaching them is I ask them to do two questions. Um, reach out to three to five friends and ask them these two questions. One is, what value do I bring to your life? Like, why are we friends? Like, what is it that I give to you? Because sometimes you forget what are the skill sets and what are the things that make me awesome, that make me me? Because I think a lot of times we spend so 80%, 90% of our time telling ourselves how horrible we are 
you know, and not really hearing all the great things about us. So I would ask you to ask your friends, what value do I bring to your life? And then the second question I would ask them is like, when was the last time you saw me with an immense amount of joy? The last time you saw me having so much fun, like in a playful state. So ask that second question just to reflect like, oh yeah, I have been happy. Oh yeah, I've had done some really fun things. What was it about those fun things? Oh yeah, it reminds me of the values that, that I have. So then now you're reminded about your skill set. you're reminded about your values, and then take that and then figure out what you want to do next. What is the next job you want to do? What is the next organization you want to apply to? And align your core values with their core values. And you're more likely to then be able to connect with that organization. Yeah, I think that's very powerful because I think a lot of people are struggling with that, right? Finding their why, finding their purpose. And until you figure that out, you're just going to feel like you're just like a hamster on, on, a, on a wheel, right? And never get anywhere. Right. And, and, and you know, like your inner child knows already right and if you can't tap into it by playing with it then asking your friends to reflect it will also get your inner child to speak up so there's so many ways in which you can find out right follow your curiosity become bored ask your friends go do something active that you really think is fun each of those will put you in a more of a flow state so that you can figure out what to do next i think what would be interesting is when you go in, let's say, let's, let's maybe move this out from just purely potentially talking about organizations and organizational success. Let's move it to more of an individual level. If you were working with me, for example, what would be your process? What would you want to see me do? Where would you start? Let's say I have a real problem with just this idea of playing. I just can't relax. I, I think play is frivolous and it's, it's not worthwhile but I'm listening to you and it's making sense. And so maybe you can convince me that, that maybe we should go down this path. What, what, what would you do? So, yeah, um, I know I keep referencing her, but I really like a lot of the Gwen Gordon stuff right now. And she speaks about how people, when they are born, um, the way in which they experience the world is in three different types of grounds, right? You either experience the world as a battleground where you see everything as a threat, um, and that's because you didn't really have a safe childhood. You see it as a proving ground where everyone, you feel like you have to prove yourself constantly to everybody. Um, and you know, and that, that is when you have like competitive parents or you know, just a competitive surrounding. Um, and then you have people that see the world as a playground, like, like exploration. Um, and that's people that had like maybe a much safer vision of the world. They see the universe as like a safe space, right? So I think we would first have to identify what ground you're coming from, because I can't just be like, hey, it's ready. You're ready to play. Because if you're not, if you don't see the world in a certain way, for me to force you there, we're not, we're not going to get there yet, right? So I think it's first identifying where do you fit in that? And then asking yourself, okay, why do you feel that way about that world? What, what is it about your experience that has proven this? Now, are you open to changing that? Okay, if we're open to changing it, what are the ways in which we're open to changing it? If you've always seen the world as a battleground and everybody is competitive and, you know, and you're constantly being like, you know, you're constantly looking out, like one of the biggest things would be for you to then try to trust some people. So we would do play exercises just around trust 
Like, can you depend on someone? I don't depend on anyone. I'm self-reliant. I can do it all on my own. Well, then the whole process we're going to work on for the next six months is for you to ask for help. Oh, I hate asking for help. Well, then there, that's what we're going to do. Because usually a lot of the things that are most, that both excite you and scare you is where we need to first explore. So, you know, I ask you at the beginning, like, this is the adventure we want to go on. If you're not ready for this adventure, that's totally fine. Just let me know when you are. But if you are willing to do this and we are able to get through this, you will grow in ways you never even thought possible. Are you ready to go on this ride? Yeah, I think that's very useful. I mean, some of the points that you made there, I could see somebody listening to that and going, okay, that makes sense. I could apply that, right? When we're talking about this idea of play, and, and as you noted, depending on the audience that you're dealing with, you might mention it and call it flow. Outside of just the things that we've talked about, what else do you think is really important? What other things would you want to see people bring into their life that you see a lot of people not doing generally? I think, I think a, there's so much we can learn from kids, right? Um, if you watch a kid on a playground, that kid runs onto the playground, they see another kid, they're like, hey, what are we doing? Are we playing a game? And then you start playing a game. You may not even introduce yourself. Um, and you just start playing this game. And then when the game's over, you go, see you later, and you leave. And I think what's awesome about that, that analogy is that kids are able to detach. They're able to, like, let go of stuff. They're not so much focused on the result. You know, when you ask a kid, what are they doing? They're like, I'm just having fun. Well, well how are you having? I'm just doing whatever I'm doing. Why do you, why, is it fun? Why is it so much fun? I don't know. They're just, like, just allowing their soul to speak which means that they're fully there, they're fully present. And I think with a lot of adults, we make the mistake of focusing so much on the results, right? Focusing so much on what we've produced, um, focusing so much on pleasing others. I constantly ask adults, who are you trying to please today? Because like, I don't understand why you're trying to please these people that like in a year from now, you won't even care what they think. But at this point, you're like, you know, oh, I got to buy this car. Why? Because this, because my neighbor bought this car and I got to get this car, you know, and you're just like constantly running this race. Um, and it's, and it's, it's, it's mind boggling to me. It's manic in many ways. And just being able to get an adult to be fully present. Hey, you're going to lunch, put your phone away. Don't pull it out at all during the whole lunch. And while you're there, actively listen. I don't think a lot of us even know, including myself, how to like actively listen. Meaning like not wait till that person finishes so I can say the next thing, but actually listen to what they have to say and then respond to them. Because like, it's like, what are, you know, what are we doing? You know, because I think so much of the time I see adults rush to get to something and then they get there and then they rush to the next thing. And even if it's some huge accomplishment, they don't sit and even celebrate the accomplishment. They're just like, all right, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? It's like, dude, this was amazing. Let's savor this moment. Let's actually like feel how this felt. Let's like have a few parties. A lot of times I tell people when they celebrate their birthday, I'm like, celebrate it for a week. Why does it have to be a day? Or just like, you know, celebrate the fact that you're alive. Um, you know, I, I've heard this recently of like, 
The world is, 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 is a mess. It's crazy. It's horrible. And it's also beautiful and amazing at the same time. It's all of the emotions. And I think, I think adults have to allow themselves to feel all the emotions at the same time. Happy, sad, angry, frustrated, inspired. You can feel multitudes of emotions. A lot of this I studied in positive psychology. And a lot of times people feel like they have to have one emotion or another. And it's like, you don't have to do it that way. That's not how you can, that's not how you really experience the world fully. Coming out of that, what you were saying about positive psychology, well, the research shows, right? A person that has more emotional granularity. And what that really means is that you're not just seeing the world in black and white. It's not good and bad. So if you have more nuanced kind of understanding of emotions, that leads to a much healthier life. Right. And what the thing I love about positive psychology is like this, this professor Martin Seligman started it you know, around the 1980s because he realized most of psychology or among all psychology had been studying what was wrong with people for so long. And he was like, why don't we study what is right with people and help people move from a neutral state to a flourishing state. Yes, we have to address a lot of people that are in depression, but there's a lot of people that are just mad. They're just in the neutral state, but they want to get to the flourishing state. They want to be in flow. So how do we help them? And a lot of this is just about awareness, right? You have to recognize that you have a negativity bias. Then a lot of times you're trained to be negative. So the challenge is, is for you to hear, I do this in a lot of my inner critic workshop, is to hear that inner critic and and name it, mine is Gargamel, and be like, you know, Gargamel's telling me I don't know what I'm talking about, or I'm like an idiot, or, you know, whatever, I'm gonna fail in some capacity, and then being like, is that really true? Oh, thank you, Gargamel, for saying that. I recognize that is my seven-year-old self telling me that. Okay, so glad you're here, but I don't actually really need you right now. So I'm gonna put you in the back, and then I'm gonna continue to do my thing. And, and to be able to check that negativity, to like, they do this, it's called the choice map to recognize where you, whether you're going into this negative spiral and just catching it and being like, ah, this is not where I actually want to go. Um, simply catching that negative voice over and over and over again and just shining a light on it will then free you up to be like, oh man, now the rest of my day is so much more freeing and so much more positive because I recognize that negative voice is not me, it's something else. That's very powerful. One of the things that I've talked about on some other episodes is just this idea where I describe what I call a competing selves model. And if you look very closely at yourself, you can, you can categorize it as three selves within you. The one self is always looking out for the best, always wants you to move towards achieving. Then there's a self that's always trying to find a reason not to move forward and trying to trip you up. And then there's that neutral self that just kind of stays and doesn't say anything, stands in the middle, right? And so what I really like about what you said there was, and I think a lot of people don't do that enough, is that actually challenging that negative voice, that, that part of ourselves that wants to hold us back and saying, hold on, you know, you're not actually in charge here and you don't get to make the decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is they're coming from a, a, a nice place. They want to protect you from failure, disappointment, all these things. But then they're also protecting you from all of the joy and the amazing experience and the, you know, 
life-changing, affirming memories that you could have. I hear this a lot of times when people are like, well, I never want to date any, after they break up with someone, I never want to date anyone ever again because I never want to feel that hurt again. But it's just like, but also then you're just denying all the love you might experience and all the connection and all the memories. You don't want to, you don't want to have that as well, right? And my, my friend, Dr. Marcy, talks about this a lot that, that I think 75% of the population are what she refers to as away people. They, they mostly move away from pain. That is what they spend a majority of their time doing. Whatever I'm doing, as long as, it, oh, does it move away from pain? Perfect, then that's what I'm gonna do. But there's a few people, maybe like us, that um, move towards pleasure, where like we'd rather, we're not really running away from pain as much as we're like, ooh, that's super cool. Let me see what happens there. Let me hop on stage. Let me make a fool out of myself. Let me do all these crazy things. Let me start this podcast, you know, because we're like, what may happen? What is the possibility here? Um, and being able to help people to, you know, see what's really cool about diving into the possible pleasure and goodness is me basically being like, this is a fun ride. If you're willing to just let go of that anxiety for a moment and just experience being fully present. So the one place that I found in my work that I had the most success is I am, I'm also a martial artist and I teach jujitsu. And so what I would do, especially with the adults is I would set up the experience so that nobody could win and that the game had to continue. And through that experience and over time, just through reflection and talking to them, I could see a shift. I could see, you know, especially these adults start talking in a very different way, relaxing more, trusting themselves more, being more in tune with what is actually going on in themselves, but actually now wanting to help other people more too, which was kind of interesting. Ooh, preach it right there, preach it. No, it reminds me of, of when I used to live in Oakland, I, I played soccer with uh, this group called the Footballistas. And it was, it started off as just like a really like, you know, competitive game of like a lot of activists, right? But then after a while, they came up with this philosophy that the score was always 2-2. Um, and once they were able to do that, more people joined because they were then being more open to being like any skill level. And then people were able to respect if you didn't really have that much skill in soccer, people would give you more space. If you're really more competitive, you know, then you could play more competitive competition. But at the end of the day, the score really didn't matter. It was about the process and the play. And this footballista club started to create chapters like all over the country. And now every year, you know, we come together for this thing called Copa Comunidad and it's all about community. And it's always the scores two two. It's like it's such a revolutionary thing in such a simple way of being like we're not all all of us can win, you know. And they talk about this a lot in this book, The Power Map, about how when you show up to any conversation or any situation, you either show up from a place of power or a place of powerlessness. And if you show up in a place of power, you either show up. Um, with supremacy power, where you believe, you know, you are the only one that can win and you have to be at the pedestal at the end of the day. You have to be the king of the mountain, right? Um, and then there's liberatory power, which is much more egalitarian, where instead of a pedestal, it's a platform where every, you lift everyone else up, like you're lifting all of your students up, you know, that you're teaching, right? Um, and I think a lot of times people feel you know, when they're in an insecure place, especially men, right? Well, us with our egos, you know, we want to show up and be like, where are the men? But 
But having carrying that supremacy power burden is exhausting because it's not really you, you know, and you're just like trying to pretend that you're really strong. And in if you were able to embrace what you said, right, the two two always tied, always helping each other aspect, you could take off that burden. And then frankly, you could play more because right now you're in this supremacy power, ego driven mindset that is frankly not making your life very fun. Just as, yeah, as you were saying that, I was just reflecting on my two boys who, when they, when they were much younger, there was one example, they were on the field uh, my youngest son was playing a game of soccer or, or football, depending which part of the world you're in. Um, and I remember one of the parents screaming across the field because he got there late and he wanted to know what the score was. And one kid turned around and got and said, I don't know what the score is and just carried on playing. Right. And so there's that point, I guess, you know, as adults where that starts changing, where we start worrying about the outcome. Even my eldest son, he had done really well in school. He, he's, he's a great drummer. And he had won an award for drumming and he got this, you know, this, this medal or cup, whatever it was. And he sat down, the end of the thing was over, you know, the school event and he left it on the chair and he walked out. Wow. And, when, awesome. and the teacher kind of like came running up after, oh, you know, Egan, Egan, you've left your, you left your, your trophy. And he's like, uh, what am I supposed to do with that? Right. You know, the point was, is that he wasn't drumming because he wanted a trophy. He was drumming because he loved it and it made him happy. Yes. Oh, I love that you talk about that because because this especially happens in America is is we are so fixated on winning everything, which sometimes doesn't even make sense because it's like, what are we winning? Clearly right now we're winning in deaths. Yippee. You know, like we're just, we're always trying to win. And I think of my nephew who plays soccer a lot and it's really difficult because he plays on a competitive team because everyone asks him all the time, hey, what, you know, did you win? What, you know, did you score? You know, all these result oriented questions. And I'm always trying to challenge myself to ask the questions of like, did you have fun? You know, did you feel like you, you like, what did you learn being on the field today? You know, what was it about it? You know, and I keep reminding him, it's like, you're not gonna remember in a year that you lost or won this game. You know, and, and I think um, so many Americans were obsessed about not only putting our kids into sports, but then putting them in and then thinking they're going to go pro, right? So then we put all this pressure for them to go pro and put all this money behind it too, which is utterly ridiculous. When it's funny, we even put so much money in kids to play soccer. It like costs some parents nine to $10,000 a year, yet... Brazil is so much better of a, of a team than we are. And the reason why is because they give access to everyone to play. Anyone can play and people play just for the sake of playing, you know? And that is like a perfect example if we were to tie this back to companies of like, if you're willing to just let go of trying to compete for compete's sake and instead just enjoy the playing part, the enjoy the process, being fully immersed in the process, the results gonna take care of themselves because you are willing to then play the infinite game. You're willing to play for forever while everyone else is just like willing to play so they can get the trophy or get the Tesla. Mm. No, I love that. So as we come to the end, Jeffrey, 
what would be your final words of advice, your final words of wisdom that you'd want people to take away as they end, as we end this conversation? Yeah, um, I, I think of two things. I think of this Viola Davis quote that really resonated with me where she was at a conference and she said, you know, Viola Davis is this you know, famous actress that, that has won every award. I think she's got the EGOT, right? Um, but when she first was starting out, she really felt like she was being forced to choose certain roles. And she would ask herself at one point, and this is like when her life changed, she goes, um, was it, oh, how, did, how did she say it? Yeah, you either choose who you are or you end up chasing your worth for the rest of your life. And that is the question you have every day. Am I chasing my worth by trying to please others and trying to like buy all the things so that I you know, am better than somebody else? Or am I really making a choice to figure out like who I am today, just today, in the next choice that I make, right? And I always reference the Goodwill Hunting um, ending where, you know, um, where the genius is, is basically called out for like you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket and you're too scared to cash it in. And in, in my belief, in my soul, I believe everyone's sitting on a winning lottery ticket. Everyone is sitting on some skill, some superpower, some thing that compels them that is uniquely their own, that nobody else can create. And it's like, what do you want to do with that superpower, dude? Like, what is, what is the phrase? Like, um, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. When you tap into that superpower, when you tap into that inner child, you free yourself to do amazing things. But then you also give permission for everyone else to do that. So that is what I, I ask or I wish of people is to dive in and figure out who they are, to dive in and figure out, you know, who, what, what it is to play again as a kid and see where that takes you. Follow that curiosity. And I'm telling you, it's going to be so much more of an enjoyable, memorable ride. To learn more about the art of self-reliance, our virtual coaching service, online courses, and our retreats in Thailand, head over to Primal Skills. That's with a Z dot com.